I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Well, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the Almond Cow, which I saw on those Instagram posts, and I thought, we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk. Cashew milk. Uh, coconut milk. Anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there any time, so if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code Lara for extra savings. Approved by the Milkman. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined as always by my beautiful, intelligent, joyful co-host Kristen Williams. Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. Uh, so good to be here. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, so we had one of our dear friends and fellow lit teachers, Yana, write in. And she says, you and Laura talked about weight training a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. You mentioned it was beneficial to incorporate it, especially as we age. Could you define a little bit more about what you mean when you talk about weight training? I don't like lifting heavier traditional weights in general. It just feels off in my body most of the time. And I prefer, I prefer resistance bands, wrist ankle weights, a sandbag I originally got for restorative yoga, exercise ball, things like that. Would you classify those kind of props as weight training? Is there a certain weight range that's recommended to build up? And secondly, you mentioned that it was particularly necessary for women for our bone health as we go through menopause. Does this mean it's less essential for men? So I think this is kind of a twofold question. We can start with the weight training and then move on yeah. to the bone building. So, so weight training, the way I think of it is a little different than when most people conjure up the idea of weight training. Weight training is resistant training. It's adding body weight. It's adding, um, the, taking into account the impact of gravity. And then in addition to that, um, you can add weight in the form of resistance bands, sandbag, any kind of extra load. So there, I kind of look at them in different buckets. So it, there could be for the person who's just kind of starting off, weight training can be like a simple body weight exercise where you're managing your body against the it forces of gravity. That could be bridge pose, you know? So we're, we're weight bearing through our feet, we're lifting our hips against the, um, gravitational forces. It could be quadruped and plank where you're weight bearing through your hands and then maybe your knees and your toes and you have to counter the effects of gravity. So those are resistance training just because you're resisting gravity. And then of course you can add differences to those. So it could be like you can add complex movement. So you go from like a plank to standing or a plank to a lunge and, and, and come upright and go back to plank. You can combine these compound movements where you are 
still weight-bearing either through the feet, the hands, the forearms, and then you're adding joint mo motion and the activity of the muscles are changing based on the gravi gravitational forces. So one muscle group might be controlling it in the form of isometric or eccentric, slowing down. Another one might be shortening in the form of concentric and powering. And combining all those is a great way of having this functional training with the resistance of gravity. You could also do it with like how we do down dog on the wall. You, that's upping it. So that would be like the second category where you you still are using just your body weight, but you're you're making the resistance of gravity even greater. So having your feet on the wall, having that puts more load through the shoulders than it would in say a plank where your gravity is more evenly distributed between the spine, the pelvis, and the legs. Now you've got that weight bearing into the, the shoulders, you're strengthening the shoulders, the wrist, all of the upper arm, and of course the core is always activated through all this because weight bearing is, what we're hoping is weight bearing in a resistance form is summoning the core to stabilize and to really light up. And that's why it's so effective because it's not isolating it to one thing, but asking everything, all the muscles that surround the pelvis, the rib cage, the spine, the, the scapula to stabilize with these different, whether it's just holding or moving through space. You could add it in the form of like a step up where you're increasing the demand by changing the, um, the, at, the angle. Just like we change the angle in down dog on the wall, we change it for our legs. So that's a form of resistance training, still not using weights, but changing the angle, therefore changing the impact of gravity. So all of those I consider resistance training with gravity because you're using body weight. Then you have the addition of like, okay, I want to get even stronger. I want to put more good stress on my tissues and on my bones. And so I'll add some extra load. That could be in the form of hand weights, dumbbells, bar, sandbag, bands, you know, just depending. The bands are going to be a little less so um, impactful for the whole body. Um, so it is resistance training, but you're going to be isolating it to certain areas. So say if you add bands like you were in plank and you had a band around your ankles and you started to abduct, that is working the core and everything, but it's really targeting the legs into the hips. So that is going to help the bones for sure. Anytime you add stress and you increase the stress, remember stress is a good thing until it's not, is that is the, the response of the body has to build muscle and, and build bone. What they're saying really is it's for, as we age, especially women, and I think it, the women are going to have to worry about this more than men because men don't go through menopause. They don't have the, the, the big um, decline in estrogen we have decline in estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, which all contribute to stem cell regeneration, including the stem cells that um, summon bone building. So women do have to worry about it more. Um, it's just the higher incidence of osteopenia in women is well documented. So women are going to have to add that load. But that being said, women are already structurally probably not necessarily um, going to build muscle as easily as men because of the different hormones that are present. And so our load probably doesn't have to be as large as a man would have to to really stress 
the bone and the muscle to, to hypertrophy, to grow. Uh, but what I was saying is what the other thing beyond just weight training that is important is the, the kind of um, bounce effect. So it's the, it's loading and then, you know, they're, they're showing how jumping is really great because that stimulates that activity. So you, you're using your weight bearing and then you add that increased of kind of plyometrics are really important for um, holding on to that bone density uh, as it decreases. That's in a, in a nutshell what I have to say about it. So if you like bands more, fine, but also use your sandbag because the sandbag is going to be kind of a more way of uh, getting a global impact as opposed to more isolated that you would get with your bands. Do you have any more to say about it than that? Not much more. I mean, I love, my favorite thing that you said was talking about, um, you know, good stress, because mm -hmm. I think that is what Yana was kind of saying. I don't really like the heavy load. It doesn't feel good in her body. And so that, and that is what most people think of with weight training. They think of bodybuilding and there's a dramatic difference to the point that you were describing is what, what you're describing is weight training versus, but there is bodybuilding and there is like muscle hypertrophy. And so I think I agree with you. Like we aren't talking about that per se, as you need that, as you age, we do lose, we do lose muscle as we age. So that is where I think, you know, like you said, using the hand weights, using the sandbags where you can continue our, our body is constantly regenerating, whether it's bone, whether it's, it's soft tissue. So the more we keep that good stress that you're talking about, the more we keep our tissues young. And I love that you brought up plyometrics because, and this is where I would say, Hey guys, you know, guys, when we look at something like an Achilles tendon tear, this is dramatically increased in men because as we age men, you guys will find yourselves doing more weight training work, doing more sitting at a desk and working, doing less, many of you, plyometric work. Um, and then you go out and play pickup basketball and tear your, your Achilles because it has lost its fluidity, its responsiveness, its ability to withstand pressure. So maintaining, that's why I love, we put plyo in lit mm -hmm. because of that reason. You know, we want to keep our tissues young by applying good stress to them. My biggest thing I would add to what you said, Laura, is just the difference between bands and, and weights. You know, a band, because it's elastic, as you pull that force amount is going to change both in pressure, because as it gets tighter, you have more pressure, but it's also going to change based on the fulcrum of where the band is. So you're changing, there's a big dynamic response or change that's occurring with the band, meaning it's not a, a set load that you might get with a weight or a sandbag or at the gym, you know, with the machine, certainly at the gym, at the machine is going to keep it very, very, um, set, but, um, you know, so just knowing that mixing the two of them is a good thing too. doing a little band work where you do get that increased resistance, decreased, increased resistance, decreased. Um, but then also knowing, well, only a certain range is getting a higher amount. And, and so, you know, you can really play around with what we talk about, Laura, in Lit is really keeping the body confused, keeping mm -hmm. the brain confused and keeping it because that's what keeps it building. 
I mean, studies have shown that things like yoga keep the brain big because you are constantly moving and we're in functional movement. It's the same thing because your, your brain's going to respond to the confusion just the way your body will. So if you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, your body kind of gets stagnant and you lose the gains. So that's why we like to add plyo some days. We like to add, um, you know, we've got the resistance bands on there. If you want that some days, Laura's doing set with weights. If you want that some days, going out for a walk in nature, if you want that some days. So, you know, that would be my best recommendation for bone health is we do need that good stress and we need it to keep the bones regenerating and plyometrics that we do is a great way. And then also just, yeah, adding that extra load um, is going to help everyone to your point, women need it more because of the hormonal stuff in later years. Yeah. Yeah. So do the resistance training in all forms, you know, and, and to your point, Yana, like enjoy it because if you enjoy it, even if it's challenging, you're going to be more likely to keep up with it. So find the things that you, you like to do. All right. The next question, um, this is from Rebecca. She says, Lara and Kristen, I'm from Switzerland and I'm an avid listener of your podcast. As you always share interesting thoughts and follow holistic approach, I would so much like to hear what you think of my problem. When I practice yin yoga, there are two poses that irritate me, sphinx and bridge with a block underneath my coccyx. And, the, and this added on later that the, it's, this pose in yin is not like our regular bridge. It's with your legs out more straight. Um, your legs are extended. So the coccyx is the most elevated part of the body. So that's a good hint right there. Mm -hmm. So it's, imagine like you're on a block, but then your legs are straight out. Um, so, so anyway, she says, um, they irritate her. I have no problem doing bridge pose, wheel pose, or upward facing dogs in yang styles, which would be like, you know, vinyasa styles. But these two static poses cause me problems in my lower back on the right side, exact, exactly where the woman's fingers are in the picture. And so she sent a picture and it's basically the right SI joint. I assume it comes from compression of tissue, but I'm surprised I feel absolutely nothing in yang styles or when doing long distance runs, cross country skiing or salsa dancing. I'm a great forward bender. I like arm balances. My right hand is the strong hand and I've rather loose ligaments. I try to focus on strength. My weaknesses are hip flexion, despite the loose ligaments, maybe because I am a long distance runner, and back bends. I call it weakness not because it bothers me, but just compared to what it looks like in average. Now and then I try these poses again and see whether something changed. The problem has persisted for around two years now. What would you recommend? Massages, working on strengthening my glutes or all my weaknesses, hip flexion and back bends did not really improve the situation or only very slightly. Thank you so much for your valuable input from Switzerland. Okay, so you want to launch into that, yeah. launch into that. I'm just letting Orlando, you can keep talking. I'm letting Orlando in. Yes. All right. No, I would love to launch into this because, um, you know, I think there's a dramatic difference between what you're describing with this, you know, sphinx, especially depending on how you do it. And certainly the bridge, bridge whatever, the lying over the block are both, you know, can be very, certainly the, the over the block is very passive. You know, you basically are hanging on a block and a lot of times sphinx can be hanging if not active. And I would argue that yin probably encourages more of that um, release your buttocks, just let gravity do the work. And, you know, that is a very, the SI joint 
um, assuming because that's where she's having the pain, can it's not really supposed to move much. And so when when we see pain or or tension going there, we've talked about this a lot of times on the podcast. It can be because you don't have mobility anywhere. And she said it herself. I'm a distance runner. Maybe my hip flexors, you know, are tight. Um, so the fact of the matter is both of those poses require hip extension. And if you don't have hip extension, you're going to go into your low back and your SI. The reason it's probably not bothering her in wheel or like a our type of a bridge is she's getting more, she's able to get more into her upper back and shoulders and take it out of the low back. Whereas Sphinx and this pose she's talking about is really, especially if passive Sphinx, targeting that area. You're basically bending like a, like a, taking a, 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 a credit card. Thinking. I always say like, it's like a credit card. How are you, how do you want to destroy a credit card? You bend it like that. You so bend right it and you yeah. bend it and you bend it and you bend it and you bend it and you bend it. And then finally it breaks. And so the difference is now, if you did a sphinx, and I would encourage you to try this, try a sphinx, but lift up in your belly and root your tailbone under and contract your glutes. I bet you'd feel a ton better because you wouldn't be sinking into that. And really with the legs extended, hanging over the block, there's that's, that one's hard to come out of, you know, like activate out of. Yes, you could probably lift up in your chest, but to what end? Like to me, that one pose, I'm saying to myself, why? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. You know, especially because so many people are limited in true hip extension, just like they're limited in hip flexion, and we go into our backs. So I would argue you're feeling it there because you don't have it in your hips. You're not able to get it in your shoulders and your upper back in those two poses that you are able to get in other more vinyasa style back bends, quote unquote, or, or openers. Um, so I would quite frankly, cease doing the one that's my personal opinion. Like if it doesn't feel good, why do it? It doesn't mean because it hurts a passive pose like that doesn't mean you need it. It's usually your body telling you, you probably need something somewhere else. So let's pause or not do that pose or just put your feet down, you know, and which will take the tension off of your hip flexors because you'll flex at the hips and you can, you know, lengthen and find many, many other ways to open up your hip flexors than this because it's going into your low back SI joint instead. What else do you have to add to that? Well, I have a lot to add, but I'm going <laughs> to first say something that might be unpopular, and that is I'm not a fan of yen. I think I've said this before. It is not, and people that love yen, are, maybe you'll get mad at me. Um, it's not meant to offend anyone, but I'm looking at it completely from from the standpoint of like, what is the point? So if the point is to relax your nervous system, there are many other ways to do that effectively. And I am a big fan of restorative yoga because restorative yoga is truly meant to relax your nervous system, um, activate your parasympathetic nervous system for rest and relax. And it's doing that by asking you to do nothing, all right? Yin is trying to relax your nervous system, but you're asked to do something like these poses where you're not really relaxing, you're not really activating. And so your imbalances will show up and then you're, you're holding it for these long periods of time. And it's just not good for your body. I mean, just think if you, 
if you've ever like read a book and you're like kind of splayed out on the couch in a not in not the best way and you get up and move, it often doesn't feel great because you're moving out of this passive hangout, rounded, hyperextended, whatever kind of position. And, and then you're cultivating that and paying for it in the in class. And it's like, no, the fact that you are not feeling it anywhere else, like in any of the activities you do, tells you that this might not be a great option for you. I, I'm sure that really mindful yin teachers, and there are people who love yin, and it says it helps. But for you, especially since you've also revealed that you have um, lax ligaments, this is not what you want to be doing. People with lax ligaments do not want to be doing yin. Uh, let me say that again, not doing yin with lax ligaments. Because yin is telling you to get into a pose three to seven minutes and kind of try and hold yourself there. And that's just gravitational forces. You're going to go into those ligaments. And that's what's happening in that area for sure. And to Kristen's point, like, yeah, because you, even if you didn't, even if you had sufficient hip, if I did it and I have sufficient hip mobility, it probably wouldn't feel great because I'm lifting my pelvis up and it's kind of positioned so my low back has to either activate or release. And when I say release, I mean I'm you know, leaning into ligaments. So at the very least, like Kristen said, don't do those two poses if you still really like to go to yen. Um, you need to be, the fact that you don't feel it elsewhere tells you that your body, just like everyone else, even with lax ligaments, responds to having to control movement, even if you aren't doing it all the time optimally. It, it is, there's some kind of responsiveness that your body is having when you're moving through poses and transitions that's not bothering this area. So in addition to cutting out those <laughs> moves, I would say work on your stability. Work on your glute strength, overall glute strength, not just glute max, but glute medius. Um, work on active hip flexion, loaded hip flexion, meaning squats that where you're truly flexing the hips, not letting that pelvis tip, because that will help your back bend. You will actually get better hip extension when your hip flexion is better. And um, yeah, and then just keep doing all the things that you enjoy and love, but there's no point in, in being sore. Or, and, and the soreness is telling you like, please don't do this. It's, it's your body sending a signal that it feels vulnerable, it isn't, um, doesn't feel safe, and that's the opposite of what you know you're you're hoping to get out of a class like a yin class or any kind of class. So, I hope that helps. Let us know, Rebecca, because we definitely want you to be feeling your best and moving your best. And again, I don't want to bash yin. I just from a from a physical therapy standpoint, biomechanically, it doesn't make sense to me. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do we have one more? Um, that is, yes, we do have one more. I got a question from, let me see where it is. This is from Lydia. I love lit so much and it has helped me counteract years of dance. Mm -hmm. I still practice ballet and wonder how do I better educate people who want to just bend their spines and lock out their knees? Um, in other words, why is it so important to control the pelvis? 
You know, this is a great question and I'll dive in here because I found myself in a recently similar position. Um, my daughter does uh, this, they call it all-star cheerleading. Many people out there might know what it is. It's got quite big, especially Netflix put out that show Cheer and everybody learned what this was. And so my daughter's been doing it for the last six or eight years now. And I have watched in horror for the last six or eight years, what these flyers are doing. And that's very dance-like. The flyers are the one they throw up in the air and they put on the top of the pyramid and they do these body contortionist type poses. And my youngest was a flyer for several years till she grew out of it, got too tall. And I kind of put my foot down on many of the poses. And I told her coaches, I won't let her do that because I, I just know, I knew, I know that it was not good for her. And these girls are stretching themselves to these end ranges and hours and hours a day and they have no core control and so the experience I've had recently is um this is my daughter's you know probably gonna be her last year of doing this and I, I finally said to the coach um hey you know I would like to offer up a core class to teach every week I want to come in once a week 25, 30 minutes with this. So she's on the elite team because I think it will really help the flyers be strong. The bases hold them up and the coach was all for it. But what I've, what I've seen over the last probably three months now I've been doing this is the skepticism, especially in the flyers who it's their job to be bendy. And for a dancer, it's their job to be bendy. Um, and so the way I approached it, just to answer Lydia, you know, is I first went in and I just said, we're going to do some core work. And this is why it's going to help you flyers. Maybe your hips hurt. Maybe your back hurts. And they're all like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, my hips did it. And okay, but I didn't press on it. And you know, bases, it's going to help you because maybe you strain your back too when you're lifting, it's going to help you. So tell them why it's going to help them. And then I just started off small, you know, doing 20 minutes of a little bit of core work. Basically our reset was what I did, Laura. I did our reset with a little bit of balance, you know, more dynamic strengthening. And they looked at me like I had three heads. They were super duper sore. I came back the second time and they looked at me with like stink eyes because they're like, I couldn't sit down without paying for three days, you know, because that's how weak that I did bare minimum, but I just kept coming. I kept coming. I, so then, okay, their hips are sore. I focus a little bit more on shoulders and then focus a little bit more on this. And then eventually I didn't say anything about, I didn't ask him, is this helping you out? But just kept coming and then started educating them gradually about well, flyers, you know, when you're up in the air and everybody gets on your case about butting out, well, this is helping you because you're going to hold up right. So think about that. And so then I start adding on a little bit and hey, bases, you know, da -da. and then suddenly I'm watching them and now they're listening a little bit closer and they're feeling it. Finally, just recently after again, two, three months of doing this, I said, has anybody seen a change in their performance? And several hands went up. I can ah. see a big change in my my balance, my ankles are so much stronger. So I'm not falling out. My hips are stronger. Yes. You know, wow. I didn't know that my knees would feel better if I sat back in my hips. So that is one way to approach it is to, you know, kind of go in with less information, just talk about 
the core strength, because let's be honest, everybody wants a stronger core, including dancers. Don't talk about it in terms of flexibility or hypermobility and how it's going to help their joints because they don't care about that. What you will see over time is they will start feeling better. I have less this pain. I have less that pain. And that to me, I think is the goal because dancers have to dance, flyers have to fly, and they are going to go into these positions, whether you like it or not. Then your next conversation is when you're doing that on the dance floor, let's think about what you do off the, off the floor and let's try not to find yourself in those positions. And so I've seen all of these girls, they're more upright, their shoulders are back. They're not hanging out into their low backs while they're not in their pose. And it's, it's been really satisfying. So um, again, it's that you like, you know, Laura, you like to talk about the side door entrance where you mm -hmm. kind of sneak in with focusing on what you're saying in other ways even though you know what you're accomplishing, they will feel later on because it does take weeks and weeks and weeks, I think, for the body really to start. I mean, studies have shown for that neuromuscular reeducation to occur can take a minimum of six weeks. So then they start doing it more naturally and then they start to get stronger and then they start to feel better. What else do you have to say on that? Uh, not much. That was excellent. I mean, I would just exactly the same thing. I always think about what does this person want to hear, <laughs> you know, because that's then I can capitalize on that. So if I'm going to people who love ballet or say they're even getting paid to be a ballerina or paid to do, you know, some of these kind of extreme ranges of motion, I'm, I'm not going to change that. So I can't tell them like, oh, you do that. You're going to, you know, we know statistically ballerinas have hip replacements at 40 years old. That's just very common. Why is that common? Because, because of the extreme, um, you know, hyperextension in their hips, moving in the pelvis, hanging on these passive restraints. So what I try to do is bring in a little education like, to that point. Like there, we have passive restraints in our body that are really there as like these secondary kind of lawmakers, you know, just to make sure that we stay in this spectrum. So we want to go to the first, the, the ones that are really hardy and that can do this over and over again. And that's going to actually help you be able to hold an arabesque and feel light in it. So I try and speak of like how it's going to make them feel, that, it, that, that it's not going to get them a bigger range necessarily. It might. Uh, ironically enough, when you're stronger, sometimes your range can look just the same amount, but it's just much um, it feels more efficient. And so if you go to those secondary, like the passive restraints, your ligaments, your labrum, um, you might not feel anything for many years. And that's the problem. These young kids, they might feel a little soreness, but it's really, and, and, and talking about the long term isn't going to, it isn't going to land. They don't really care. So it's like, how can we speak to it? Getting stronger in those these first this first line of defense of of managing movement of stabilizing you so that you can get longer lines, you know, and I think that, I mean that's why so many ballerinas have taken up over the years Pilates because they they want that core strength they understand the importance of it of having core stability so that they can control more of the movement and but maintain the the graceful aesthetics of it. So I think for Lydia, I would just say, 
speak from what it's done for you. You know, also bring that in because you have, you know, you're in the same, you know, arena as they are. And then you can say like, this has actually helped me. I feel like I have more energy or I, I can sustain some of these moves more. Or I could do an extra turn or whatever it is, because those are the things that are going to entice people to think about where their pelvis is in space. Are they just hanging out in their lumbar spine versus just the mechanics unfortunately aren't usually going to be enough. So I think all of these, I hope, I hope they help and, and get back to us because we've had so many people over the years that have been in ballet, gymnastics, and in yoga that have gone like into, and, and they really feel the benefit and they don't lose um, in, any loss of range of motion is, is really not, it may be a perception, but aesthetically it doesn't change. It's just a controlled range of motion. I love it. Yay. So wonderful questions. As always, you know, you can write us. These last few came in from support at Lit Yoga. So you write support at lityoga.com or you can also find us on Instagram. You can find me at kbwilliams99 or laura at laura.hyman. No question is off the table. We love the variety. Um, I think our listeners love the variety. So keep them coming. And we, of course, will do our best to answer them. These are just opinions. Uh, we mm -hmm. do have a lot of experience between the two of us, seen a lot of things, helped a lot of people. So that that does speak for something. But just know that everybody is different and we love to, you know, help you out in any way we can. Amen. Thank you, sister. And to all of you, as always, we're pulling for pulling you. For you. <laughs>